I would like to share a little bit about Jasper Camp. Our theme for the week was Isaiah 5410. I meant to say it every day so the kids kind of memorize it. And I said it Monday, so that's not bad. But uh, Isaiah 5410 verse or part A says, For the mountains may move and the hills disappear, but even then my faithful love for you will remain. The mountains may move. And even if that happens, my love for you will remain. So my theme for the week was mountains of God, stories that take place on a mountaintop, which makes sense when you're in the mountains. Um, and it was a lot of fun to kind of craft lessons around this. Uh, Monday night, we got, or Monday we got there and set up. We did a quick jaunt down to Athabasca Falls, which is like 25 minutes from our campsite. And so they got a taste of of what the week was going to be like because Athabasca Falls isn't a hike, but it is extremely beautiful. And uh, some of the kids had never been there before. And so when we got back to campsite, our campsite, um, normally we have this one site with a cook shack that there's stairs that go up a mountain and it's really great. We didn't have that site. There was another group there already, actually a group of troubled teens. They had a one-to-one counselor-to-camper ratio. but they were great. We never had any. I mean, they they filled up the girls' bathroom, but they, uh, they it was great having neighbors like that. So, but it just meant we were displaced to another cook shack that was further from where we normally are, and that felt like a whole other camp. It was the same site. It was maybe a maybe a hundred yards away, and it felt like a totally different camp. Instead of where we normally are, you can see Mount Takara, which is a nice little mountain. They're all nice, but from where we were. If you look to the left, you could see the gondola, um, which was neat. And if you looked straight ahead from the cook shack, you saw Pyramid Mountain. And Pyramid Mountain is my favorite mountain in Jasper. And so that was neat to have the, that perspective. But on Monday night, I pointed out Pyramid Mountain. And we were kind of, Jasper's kind of nestled at the foot of Pyramid Mountain. And I had the kids imagine that that Pyramid Mountain was covered in flame and cloud. And that there were earthquakes And it was just really obvious that the presence of God was there. And that's what happened for Israel in in the book of Exodus. They had been delivered from slavery, brought to Mount Sinai. And on Sinai, they saw God in a real way. God was right there in all his power and his majesty. They knew it was God, but they had a funny response to it. And so then we backtracked and talked about Moses. Moses, Egyptian prince, grew up as uh, a prince in Egypt. Um, killed an Egyptian, fled to the wilderness, shepherded for 40 years. You guys all know the story of Moses. But but by the time Moses himself gets to Sinai the first time, he is a fugitive, he is a murderer, he is um, a failed royalty, and now he is nobody, absolutely nobody, just a shepherd in the desert. And he encounters God. And to Moses, God reveals his power, his plan, and his love. He shows his power by the miracles he performs with Moses. The hand turns to leprosy and then back. The staff turns to a snake and back. He reveals his plan that he's heard the cries of his people and he will save them from Egypt. And he knows God's love, that he does all of this because he's faithful to his people. So it's all very, God is very real and very clear to Moses. He's literally on fire right in front of his eyes. And yet how does Moses respond? He refuses. He refuses to go. Four or five times God says, go, I will send you. I will be with you. And Moses says, no, I can't. 
And then he gives four or five different excuses. I'm not good at speaking. Who will they, who will I say has sent me? And they're not going to believe me. And each time God responds with, I love you. I will be with you. This is my plan. Moses was a broken man, a murderer, a convict, and a disgraced prince. And now he was just nobody, a shepherd in the wilderness who refused to listen to God. He was fearful. He was doubtful. He was pitiful. And yet still, God insisted, this is the person that I want. I choose this man. This will be the man through whom I display my power, my love, my, my plan. And so he returns to Egypt. And we talked about the plagues, the Passover, parting of the Red Sea, and the pillars of fire and cloud. So Israel, these millions of Israelites, got very, very real and tangible, tangible and powerful displays of God's power plan and love right like we will never experience anything that clear as plagues raining down on our enemies and the sea parting so we can walk right through and a pillar of fire leading us wherever we need to go we'll never have that probably they had that moses had that and just as he had showed moses now god was showing all of his people his power, his plan, and his love. He freed them from slavery. He made them his people. He guided them and provided for them. And how does Israel respond? Exactly like Moses. Moses there in front of the burning bush rejects God, refuses to listen and obey. Israel there at the foot of the mountain, they respond just like Moses. They reject God too. And instead they form a golden calf out of the gold that they plundered from Egypt as they were delivered from Egypt. And their hearts, the Bible says, turned back to Egypt. They wished, they longed to return to Egypt, where they were slaves, where their babies were thrown in the river. They longed to go back there. They have God right there. They can see him. They can feel him. And they still want their old life. Moses, he's there in the, facing the burning bush. He can, see, he can hear God, his power, his plan, and his love. And he still refuses. He still rejects God. And so I talked to the kids that night. I shared some stories of my own life where I was this colossal screw up, where I knew God. I knew what God was like. And still my actions showed that I rejected him. And so I talked about how Moses and Israel and me, they knew God's love, his power, and his plan, and yet rejected him. But Mount Sinai is a reminder that he still chooses us. Despite Moses' refusal and rejection, God still chose Moses, empowered him to do his good work. Despite Israel longing for being slaves again, longing for that old life, God still chooses them, still empowers them, still shows them his, his love and his plan. And so the question the first night was, how will you respond to this God? You can't see him like they could, but hopefully at Jasper Camp they could see him. And how will you respond? So that was Monday night, the first mountain was Sinai. Tuesday night, I talked about um, me, how I would test God, and Angie loved hearing this. I would always test God with girls. God, if you're real, make her fall in love with me, (laughs) which is just the most pathetic, objectifying women, just selfish prayer you could ever make. But I prayed it all the time. Um, And so I told a story of another time that God was tested on a mountain. Anybody want to guess who that was? Who, who was involved in a test of gods on the mountain? Elijah, that's right, Elijah. On Mount Carmel, Elijah tests God and Baal. And 
Elijah's the only follower of God left. All of the nation of Israel is now worshiping Baal under the influence of the evil king and queen. And so there's 450 prophets of Baal and one prophet of God. And Elijah sets up this test, um, which God is real. And so they, they, he has the prophets of Baal chop up a bull, put it on the altar. Don't let it on fire. Call to Baal, see if he lights it on fire. And so they do. They start dancing and, and shouting and whooping up as they did. But Baal didn't answer. And so Elijah starts mocking them. Maybe he's thinking about it. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's on the toilet. It starts mocking them. And so they start shouting and cutting themselves and, and nothing happens. And then Elijah goes and he takes his bull, chops it up, puts it, puts it on the altar, douses it 12 times with big full jars of water enough that it fills up the trench around. And his prayer is, show that you are God and that I am your servant. Answer me so the people will turn to you. That's in 1 Kings 18. That's his prayer. Answer me, not for my sake, but for your sake. And then immediately fire rains down, consumes the bull, consumes the altar, consumes the water. Everything gets consumed by the fire. And the people are amazed. They fall down immediately and worship that this must be the real God, not Baal. He's a false, a phony, an evil, wicked idol. God, they turn their hearts back to God. And so it's this great victory. He, he tested God, not for his sake, but for God's sake, and was victorious. And it drew the people back to God. But that's not the end of Elijah's story. It's not the end of his mountain story. Because immediately after that, the evil queen Jezebel hates him for it. And says to Elijah, sends a messenger to say, I'm going to kill you today. I'm coming for you. I'm going to murder you. And Elijah, after just winning this incredible victory, he has all this power that he knows about. And how does he respond? With fear and depression. In fact, it says he curls up under a tree and wishes he was dead. That's his response. He just won this huge victory. And now he's brought so low that the first sign of inconvenience, at the first sign of trouble. It's like, where did his faith go? And so God... Um, this was important for those of us who were hiking. God gives him one little cake of bread and one little drink of water, and he runs for 40 days and 40 nights all the way to Mount Sinai, the first mountain we talked about. And when he's there, you probably know the story. God says, what are you doing here? And Elijah says, he kind of whines and says, I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me, and life is so hard. After he just won this mighty victory. And God says, go stand on the mountain in my presence, and I will pass by. And so there is a huge wind that comes and shakes the mountain and the rocks all fall apart and God's not in the wind. And then there's a f earthquake that shakes the mountain more and all the other rocks are loosened. And then there's a fire and it burns everything up. But God isn't in any of those things. Instead, God is in a little whisper. And the whisper says, why are you here? What are you doing here? And then God gives him, just like for Moses, reveals to him his plan, his power, and his love. He says, you will anoint a new king, and you will pick a new prophet to succeed you, Elisha. So what? What did this all mean? Well, God was tested by Elijah and proved himself powerfully, but that wasn't enough for Elijah. He got depressed at the first sign of trouble. And so God answers him, not with a powerful sign of fire, but with a tiny, intimate little whisper. He feeds him and fuels him with a whisper. Why? Well, because in both things, both the mighty test and supreme victory on, on Carmel and in the little whisper on Sinai, in both things, Elijah had to learn that it's not about him. It's about God. 
That victory was won on Carmel for God, to draw the people back to God. That whisper was given to Elijah personally so that he could continue to serve God and God's plan could move forward. Elijah benefited as we always do when we obey, but God responded for his own glory. And so looking back at myself with my ridiculous prayers for girls to love me, (laughs) I talked about how I finally stopped testing God with women in my life and started testing myself and started holding myself to a better standard. And with Angie, it was different for me. It wasn't about God, give me Angie, because that's a really selfish and obnoxious thing to pray. Instead, my prayer was, God, make me worthy of Angie. Make me love her in a pure way. And over the course of many months, my charm eventually wore her down. (laughs) And here we are today. Uh, God is glorified, I think, through our marriage. And so that was a kind of a lame example, but an example of when you stop testing God and start testing yourself so that he will get the glory, then he responds. So Sinai to Carmel. The next mountain was the mountain of transfiguration. Um, We talked about stories of how Jesus showed God's power. Some of the miracles he did, walking on water, uh, calming the sea, exercising demons, multiplying the bread. We talked about how Jesus showed God's plan, that he came to seek and save the lost, that he told us to love our neighbor. We talked about how Jesus showed God's love um, to outsiders and unexpected people, and how Jesus showed God's word. He was the word uh, through his teachings, his parables. Jesus was God's power, plan, and love. And then, so after going, fleshing out these stories for a long time, I said to the kids, Now, if all this is true, and I believe it's true, even though some of these are hard to believe, if they are true, then the question is, who is Jesus? That's the question you need to ask. If these things are true, then who is Jesus? And we looked at, um, in the book of Matthew uh, 16, Jesus asking his followers this very same question, who do you say I am? Or who do people say I am? There's all kinds of different answers. But Peter, Peter gets right to the heart of it. You are the Messiah. He's the first one to recognize that that he is the Savior, the one who saves. And Jesus responds with, shut up, don't tell anyone. And then he starts talking a lot about his death that's coming. And Peter actually ends up rebuking to Jesus and saying, that will never happen, don't stop saying that. But Jesus says in response, if you seek only your life for your own sake, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will gain it. You're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. It's powerful lessons of discipleship. So we talked about how there's two ways to live. Same with with Elijah. You can live for yourself or you can live for him. If you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. How Elijah was an example of that um, and how Jesus is the ultimate example of that. And then here's where the mountain comes in. After that, Jesus goes up a mountain. It wasn't Sinai. It wasn't Carmel, but both are represented because on that mountain, he hangs out with Moses, Sinai, and Elijah, Carmel. Um, And so God confirms through his voice for only the second time in all the Gospels, this is my son, listen to him. He's hanging out with Moses, keeper of the law, leader of God's people. He's hanging out with Elijah, powerful truth teller, powerful displayer of God's power. That's who he's hanging out with. So it's this huge confirmation that Jesus is who he said he is. Listen to him, is what we said to the kids. The same God who spoke to Moses, the same God who whispered to Elijah, validates Jesus as Messiah. So what does this mean for the kids? Well, it means it's the most important question you'll ever ask and ever answer. 
Who is Jesus? We try and we fail. Us as leaders try and fail like the Israelites, like Moses, like Elijah, like Peter. We try and fail to lay down our life at all times. Sometimes we succeed. But the thing is, we believe that God wants us to listen to Jesus and follow him because he contains all the power and love and words of God, just as he did when he was hanging out on the mountain with Moses and Elijah. And so at Sinai, we talked about how will you respond? And now the question is, who is Jesus? Which brings us to our last night, Thursday night. Um, It's actually two mountains. And we told it through the eyes of Peter. We talked about the Last Supper, how Jesus kind of emphasized all the most important lessons he had to give. Jesus institutes communion, talks about his death. Jesus serves his disciples. He washes their feet. He reminds them to take heart because he will overcome the world. And he says to Peter, you will deny me three times after Peter says, I will go, I will die for you. She says, no, you're going to betray me. And so then they leave for a mountain. First, it's the Mount of Olives, Gethsemane. Jesus leaves them to pray, asks them to stay awake, and they don't. They fall asleep three times. Jesus returns to them, and he must have been sweaty and pale and blood dripping from his forehead in agony over what's going to happen. And he comes to Peter and says, stay awake. And Peter says, okay, and then he falls asleep three times, three times of failure. But on that mountain, Jesus knew that suffering was coming. Um, Moses didn't want the job. He refused the job. Jesus accepted the job. Elijah got depressed and wanted to give up. Jesus, he agonized, but he never gave up. He knew suffering was coming. So he could choose to, as we looked at the night before, he could choose to live for himself and and put down the cup of suffering and walk away from it all. Or he could choose to show love to the Father and seek the Father's plan, even at the cost of his own life. And he chose sacrifice. He chose love and salvation despite the cost. Then the arresters come and Peter slashes off an ear and Jesus says, nope, that is not how we do things. That is not okay, Peter. And even though these are people coming to oppress him, Jesus heals the ear. Peter, just foolish. So they go into Jerusalem and it's in Jerusalem that three times Peter's asked, hey, weren't you with him? Or, hey, you sound like one of those Galileans. Hey, didn't I see you with that Jesus fella? And three times more and more angrily, Peter denies it. No, don't know the guy. No, I've never seen him. I swear to you, I have nothing to do with this Jesus guy. And then the rooster crows. So that's first mountain. Second mountain is obviously the mountain of Calvary, uh, the mountain of the skull, um, where Jesus is condemned for blaspheming. His accusers answer the question of who is he with somebody worthy of death, which is crazy. And so I explained what crucifixion was and how Peter was eventually crucified too. Um, And just basically talked about how on that mountain Jesus died. But several days later, um, Peter and some of his friends are out fishing, and they're having no success. And then a stranger calls to them from the shore and says, hey, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And they do, and immediately they pull up more fish than their net can handle. And Peter doesn't even think about it. He's wearing, he's fully dressed. He puts on his tunic. He jumps in. He swims to shore because he knows that's the Lord. He knows it is. And I love that response from Peter. As big a failure as Peter has been, as soon as he realizes it's Jesus calling to him, he, he obeys and goes to him. Um, and he has, they have breakfast with Jesus. And three times, just as three times Peter denied Jesus, you're familiar with this story too. Three times Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. 
Second time, feed my lambs. Third time, take care of my sheep. Three times Peter denied Jesus, and so three times Jesus gives him the chance and redeems him by saying, yes, I love you. You know I love you. So all of those screw-ups that Peter did, and they were massive, are forgiven. And he becomes this great leader, this great influencer of the church um, and human history. So what? For the kids. Well, Moses, he was nobody. He had an ugly past. He was chosen by God to show power, plan, and love despite his ugliness. Elijah, he was fearful, depressed. He was chosen by God to show God's power and plan and love. Peter, he acts before thinking. He's headstrong. He's ignorant. He denies Jesus, literally. says, I don't want anything to do with him. But he's forgiven. And so Peter is chosen by God to show his power, plan, and love. And then we turned it to the kids and said, you, you and I are sinful, broken, doubtful, young. We got a lot of things going against us. But because of the Mount of Olives, Jesus chose to lay down his power, follow God's plan, and show you love. Because of the Mount of Calvary, your sins are paid for, and you are forgiven. So you are no longer identified in that way. You are no longer that person. At least you don't need to be. And so the question is, the same as it was at Sinai, the same as Carmel, the same as the mountain of transfiguration, the same question is, who is this Jesus? And if he is who he said he is, and what the Bible says he is, and if the story of Peter is real, then the question is, how do we respond to him? What are we going to do about it? The next morning, real quick, I had a quick devotional thought about when Jesus comes down from the mountain of transfiguration, there's this boy who needs healing and the disciples can't do it. And so Jesus says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can tell this mountain to move and it will move for you. Following Jesus takes faith, but with faith, you can move mountains. And of course, these are not, hey, I really want to win this basketball game. Hey, I really want a fancy new car. Can you make that happen? It's you will move mountains in your own life. In my life, I talked about some of my weaknesses. I'm selfish. I need credit. I have a short temper. I get easily frustrated. Those are huge mountains in my life, and they will not be moved unless the Holy Spirit moves them in me. And sometimes there's mountains in other people's lives that need to be moved. Maybe somebody can't afford something, and you can. Maybe they need help from you. Maybe they need you to listen to them. Maybe they need love. Those are huge mountains in their life, and they can't be moved unless you trust the Holy Spirit to help you move them. There are mountains in us to move, only faith can move them. There are mountains in others to move, only faith gives us that compassion and that that love to move them. So that was my challenge to the kids. And so that was what I talked about. I know that seemed really dense and really long, because it was. But I want to close this morning with the best part of it. And the best part of it is that we saw these lessons come to life right before our eyes. in powerful and beautiful ways. In these five mountain stories, there were really two central questions. Who is God slash Jesus? How will you respond to him? Well, I'm thrilled to report many positive responses to those messages and to that week. Obviously, it was here's what it obviously wasn't just me. Every night there was one or two testimonies from leaders. I think those connect with the kids way better than any stories that I told. And those those testimonies were always connected to the in some way, to the story, the lesson that had been shared. So testimonies, my lessons, uh, they had tree time every morning where they just sat and read the Bible for 20, 30 minutes. And just being in the mountains, general revelation, God shown in his glory. So I'm aware that it's not it's certainly not just me. 
but I want to report some of the positive responses to what I had been talking about. This Jasper camp, I believe, was one of the most successful that I've ever led. Successful in a lot of ways. Successful physically. Um, Nick is testament to this. Nick got to the top of both of the big mountains we did. Right, Nick? Uh, Nick did awesome. Uh, sometimes he was even trucking all by himself. Sometimes he didn't even have a, have a companion. But I saw him. He was fueled to get to the top. And I'm really proud of you for that, Nick. But it wasn't just Nick. Everyone summited those mountains. The first, the first mountain we did, two people didn't think they could get it to the top and so Stephanie was gracious enough to go back down with them but everybody else and that's 25 people got to the first peak and most of those then got to the second peak it was phenomenal never had that kind of ratio of of success on a big hike like that um, on the second hike Thursday night's hike everybody even those two who couldn't get there everybody got to the top and got a taste of the power and glory of being at the top of a mountain and that's never, ever come close to happening before. So I was really happy. There were other physical successes. There was only a couple minor injuries, some rolled ankles on, on a hike, um, some lost glasses in the lake. Um, so just some minor inconveniences. But so physically, it was a success. But obviously, I don't do Jasper Camp for the physical successes, although I enjoy that. Um, it's the spiritual success that I really want to brag about. Not for my sake, for God's sake. We saw kids responding to all kinds of lessons. Um, while people were talking, whether it was me or the testimonies, kids were wrapped in attention, which is not always the case, trust me. They were focused and listening. They surprised, there's one young man in particular who the last time I brought him to a youth thing, he disappointed me greatly. Not this time at all. He was a real joy to have there. And he surprised me, especially during the Moses talk. He knew more about the story of, of the Exodus than some of our leaders did uh, and was openly, hey, I know that. And he was filling in details of the story and I, I was really proud of him. Um, I saw spiritual success in excellent conversations that kids had with leaders. Our leaders were great, especially our two summer students and two of the, the people, they're not, they're, they just come every year. They, they just volunteer every year. Um, saw really excellent conversations. So one of the Youth Alive team members who is quiet and shy really did a great job connecting with a, one of our youth kids, Daryl, who is also quiet and shy. And so they bonded really well. I don't have I don't have the ability to connect with those kids usually because I'm so loud and upfront and annoying. It takes somebody who's a better listener than myself to connect with those kids. And this Youth Alive team member, Ray, did that. There was a um, conversation that happened on the last night where a pretty major disclosure from a child's life was shared with Stephanie and because she trusted Stephanie and had built that relationship all week long with Stephanie. And that major disclosure, um, I was able to follow up with the parents and that led to some really fruitful and meaningful conversation. And that child who gave this disclosure had a super tremendous week. Um, was helping out in all kinds of ways, was always smiling, had a great attitude, and you could tell that week meant a lot to her. And then Sean, our buddy Sean Skeen, um, who comes every year and is just a joy to have around, had a really cool little story that he shared with Steph and with me of his miracle 
where he was at the top of the mountain and he didn't think he'd ever be able to get down. He had no food left, had no water left. So he said, I prayed to God, please give me the energy to get down this mountain. And he said, at the bottom of the mountain, I was even running, sprinting down. He said, and so his faith in God was increased because of that. So those are just some spiritual successes. But we saw the effects of the lessons in real time as well. There was clearly an impact. I think of one um, young man who's been with me in youth group for a long time. He was actually over age to come, but I brought him anyway. And he showed me a heart that was willing to invite and include others. Um, a heart that showed a real pondering spirit and a real desire to worship. He spent about an hour with Emily and uh, one of our Youth Alive team members just worshiping, just playing music and singing. And um, I've known this boy for a long time. I'm proud to say that I can see a change. In him. Tim Kwan, uh, who comes every year as well, he received the scholarship. Every year the Youth Alive team gives a scholarship to a kid at Jasper Camp. So Colby McLean got it two years ago. Devin Hollow got it last year. This year, it went to Tim. And Tim's response to any kind of recognition is stone face, cracks himself, deprecating jokes, take the attention off. But we could see the real genuine appreciation when he received that scholarship. It meant something to him. And I was excited about that. I think of Nick also. Sorry to embarrass you again, Nick, but I'm really proud of you. Um, Nick pitched in to help with dishes, cleaning stuff up, hauling water, all the dirty background jobs that kids don't normally ever want to do, even if they're told to do it. And Nick volunteered himself to do it, which shows a real heart, Nick. And I thought that was excellent. I think of others, specifically the Sirson girls, um, Larissa and Josie, and the Swinging girls, Amara and Haley. Um, helping at every opportunity they could. Every night uh, after last campfire, snack had to be put away and dishes had to be done, and they were the first to step up and do that. That shows those hearts show kids who are willing to listen to uh, who is Jesus? A servant. Well, then I will serve as well. And I saw my leaders serving and helping. The kids, Angie, myself, uh, for the most part, really great attitudes. And Here's where I wish Steph was here because Emily, Stephanie, I couldn't have done it without you girls. Um, you were enormous helps. Did everything you could to get to know kids, build relationships with them. I'm really proud of you and you, but you're downstairs. And most exciting of all to me is nobody, there was nobody who like put up their hands and said, I'm dedicating my life to Jesus. That would be the most exciting thing. But there were several youth who have been kicking around the idea of Bible college who are, have doubled down on their desire to go to Bible college. Um, Devin and Kobe, who I mentioned had won those scholarships, are really seriously considering Bible college. Uh, Tim uh, is really thinking of going as well. And there was a, another girl who I didn't expect to be considering, but I talked to her mom yesterday, and her mom said, no, all she's been talking about since she got back is Bible college. And she's researching Bible colleges to go to. She doesn't have a plan. She's graduated. She doesn't have a plan. And so that may be her plan. Just, yes! Right on! Um, Alberta Bible College was well represented. Mount Carmel was well re represented through Stephanie and an another girl, Gerdina. And so that's great. So this is going really long. But I want to close with this. On the Thursday as we were hiking 
um, we got to the summit and a bunch of us were pushing on to keep going up glaciers. And there's some pictures of, of Thursday's hike on Facebook if you want to see. And I, I was one of a small group that was going to the next peak and I was with Isaac. And Isaac said, you know, um, his friend from Bible college, his name's Jomar, told him this um, really beautiful sermon illustration. He said, mountains are actually formed at the weak spots in fault lines, that it's where the fault lines are weakest that they, and they buckle upwards. That's where mountains are formed, is in the weak places. Out of weakness comes something strong and powerful and glorious and good. And that is true of mountains. And that is true in us. And that was what I was trying to communicate to the kids, was that in your weakness, God will do strong things. In your smallness, God will do big things. In your, in your brokenness, God will do glorious, beautiful, life-changing things for you and for the people around you. And so God was glorified at Jasper Camp. The kids responded to him, I believe. And like the Israelites, like Moses, like Elijah, like Peter, like myself, they are not perfect. And they'll continue to make some mistakes, take some steps backwards. But I believe, and I'm excited and renewed in a lot of ways by the fact that they are that much closer to God, that much more able and willing to turn to him. That they heard the question, who is Jesus and how will you respond? And many of them gave a pretty good answer. That excites me. Let's pray. Oh, and by the way, same is true for you too. This this whole sermon wasn't just for the kids. It's for you and I as well. Let's pray. God, you are so very good and so very powerful and so very faithful. Thank you for your love to us. Thank you that you include us in your plans. We are we get to be key parts of your kingdom plans and wherever we happen to be in life. Thank you for your love. And Father, I thank you for the impact that Jasper Camp had on myself and on the leaders, and most of all for the kids that we, we served and hung out with and built relationships with for your glory. We did do that for your glory. And I pray that each of us here this morning would learn the lesson that even though we are broken and weak, that just like a mountain, we, we can be made strong in you. Father, in all these things, we're thankful and pray in Jesus' name.